This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Telling us uh, to stop complaining because we're literally just a fly on a rhino's ass. That was a direct (laughs) quote from... Welcome to Game Dev Advice the Game Developers Podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me, it's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call, 224-484-7733, or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. I have a great show for you today, so let's kick things off with episode 001. Today's guest... Heinz Schuler. He's one of the first people who came to mind when I decided to start this podcast. I've known him since the mid-90s, and he's a super talented and technically smart artist, art director, and teacher. I think you'll like his opinions and perspective, ranging from indie dev to teaching to working at places like Microsoft. Okay, let's kick things off with Heinz. Here we go. Hey everybody, I've got uh, Heinz Schuler here today. Um, a little bit of background information about Heinz. He started working in the game in- industry back in 1993 and has served at companies including Viacom New Media, Foss Interactive, Microsoft Game Studios, and Day One Studios. He is credited with art direction on popular PC and console games, including MechWarrior 4, Vengeance. 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 Yeah, Vengeance. Um, Fear 3, and Aviator Laser Wars 2. Hines has also served as a publishing art director at Microsoft and games like Mech Assault, Mech Assault 2, and Crimson Skies, High Road to Revenge. He recently completed his art direction and shipped uh, Death Toll on Steam and is an instructor of visual effects, graphics, and animation at DePaul University here in Chicago. That sound about right? Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good part of it. <laughs> okay. Um, what else? What else should we throw in there about your your background that I may have missed? Uh, no, I mean, I guess there was loads of years there uh, working in Chicago. So you mentioned Viacom and FASA. That was uh, 
you know, two uh, of my starting points. But before that, I worked for uh, Software Toolworks. It actually became a company called Mindscape. If you mm. remember those guys, but uh, they were out in Naperville, uh, and uh, that was actually my first game gig was uh, working there. So mm-hmm. it wasn't really like hardcore games; it was more like uh, you know CD-ROM, inter- you know. Oh yeah, 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 like uh, U.S. Atlas, uh, World Atlas. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw that stuff here in your credits from '95. Here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was back in the day where <laughs> CD-ROMs were like a hugely amazing thing, and uh, you know right. there was a whole uh, bunch of people who had these drives and nothing to do with them. <laughs> so <laughs> the industry just blossomed of right. anything that could go on CD. Let's do it. So you can put 600 megs on a disc. <laughs> Imagine what we can do. It's unbelievable. Crazy. Yeah. The first one is always kind of like, how did you get started in the video game industry? Kind of talk me through it. Wow. Well, uh, the short version, I guess, is uh, uh, probably in the late 80s. Uh, I was working uh, a day job as an IT guy in a, a manufacturing company. I had access to, access to CompuServe, which mm. if you can remember <laughs> back in the day, uh, yeah. before we oh. had a World Wide Web uh, and the ability to browse, uh, we, had, uh, we paid a lot of money to sign up for these uh, services that would actually mm-hmm. – gave us internet access because uh, before then you had to like know people at a university or something crazy that right. you know get online so um so CompuServe was this amazingly ridiculously over- overpriced service but uh it was the first like major commercial portal uh that mm-hmm. also offered user groups so long story short again uh i found the ray tracing forums and up to that point i've been doing a lot of photography and it kind of like blew my mind that uh we could type scripts that would turn into images in a computer once you hit rendering. Uh, so uh, that was kind of the genesis of it. And then you can fast forward to about a year later, I had been making spaceships and all kinds of like renderings and putting them online on AOL on their uh, mm-hmm. graphics forums. And I got some of that stuff got seen by um, software Toolworks, And they called me up one day and just said, Hey, would you like to come down and talk about doing some graphics for uh, different, uh, you know, game and uh, see around products they were doing. So mm-hmm. uh, I was a freelancer and I just showed up. I had my computer in the car and, <laughs> you know, my 386 and uh, <laughs> uh, they brought me in and said, start making some graphics. So uh, 2D, 3D graphics, whatever it took, because everything back then was sort of pre-rendered and uh, right. kind of displayed on screen. So that's kind of how I started out. And um uh, my true love though was games. So I was totally into games like X-Wing and Mech Warrior uh, 2 back then. And, and I was determined to like figure out how to get into that industry. So mm-hmm. uh, luckily in Chicago, we had a, a, a couple of good different companies doing cool game stuff. And one of them was FASA. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, just basically worked hard to get noticed by a couple companies. And that's how I ended up at Viacom. One day I walked in there, we guys had an open house and uh, yes, I remember the open uh, house. we came in and interviewed and uh, everyone was like super cool. And like this, this whole building had been dolled up and like, it looked like the set of zoom, you know, from uh, PBS, <laughs> you know, it was all right. super bright colors and everyone had little studios and little glass cases and stuff. That was right. basketball court and uh, right. uh, all, all kinds of perks. Right. 
And I was like, oh, man, this is just so awesome. I would be just so into working in a place like this is so not like a factory. Right. Uh, so uh, somehow that worked out, and I ended up getting an artist job there, and that was my, my first real game job. So mm-hmm. uh, after that, it was just kind of holding on for the ride. Because back then, you know, you didn't know anybody who worked in the games business, let alone most people didn't even realize there was a games business uh, yeah. for computers. And, and some people heard of PlayStation, Atari, whatever, but it was like so off the grid um, compared to how it is now. So um, I felt like I'd broken into the secret little tiny world of, you know, <laughs> art and development and just like, just kind of like crazy. So. Uh, right. Yeah, it was, it was like a, it was a different time back then for sure. And uh, yeah, there was all kinds of crazy games and development. And, you know, I, I think the big deal too is if you weren't doing console on, on CD-ROMs and stuff, the cost of goods were so low that it was, you know, companies were used to paying high costs for cartridges and things. But if you go in CD-ROM and you self-publish, you didn't have to go through a formal QA, which then meant everyone had to patch things uh, when you, after you installed it, but then it was just, um, you know, a box and disc inside. And it was, um, you know, all that space on that disc and you could do all this stuff. So it was kind of, uh, the wild west, um, yeah. to, to a certain degree and club dead. And, you know, there was a snow crash game in development one time at, uh, at Viacom new media. And yep. of course, all of our beefs and budget stuff we did both PC and console. Um, Yeah. It was kind of crazy. Well, it was also amazing to me there was that, at least in the early days, like they would just fly us to New York for like meetings, right? right. So like, you know, it'd be like, oh, we got to meet about your product. And you'd be like, oh, all right. And then like a limo would pick you up, you know, and right. Right. take you to right. the airport and then shuttle you downtown Manhattan. And you were like, holy smokes, man, this is right. like, this is nuts. And, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, the, the glamour uh, of the business was also kind of striking back then, which was, you know, uh, it's kind of like when Frank Zappa would talk about the early days of the record business, you know, like the people, the money had no idea what, what, what this was, but they were like, Hey, you, know, you guys try some stuff, see what happens, you know? And, and right. uh, you know, we just could create, cook up these product ideas out of nowhere and get well, traction yeah. on them. You're in a, you're interactive pet dinosaur, right? I mean, that was kind of like all <laughs> crazy tech demo that with a game with a dinosaur that was, how would you even describe that game uh, it was pet rock i mean you know, <laughs> we had you know the big virtual pet craze back then and the right. you know, tamagotchi and stuff and uh you know this idea of virtual pets cats was a big product back then if yeah, you remember right. that yep. cat running around on your desktop causing problems and uh so that was the genesis of it but yeah i mean anything we could cook up and that was the worst product name i think i've ever worked on yeah a great, yeah it, it definitely roll off the tongue it was <laughs> your interactive pet dinosaur. what so yeah looking back in those times um and also kind of looking where things are at now kind of like you know what do you wish you had known when you started oh man answer to that is everything <laughs> <laughs> like you know uh i don't know if i could boil it down to two things it would be that uh art skills are important mm-hmm. uh you know back in the day you could figure out how to use a certain you know piece of software and become proficient at it on a technical level and that would make you attractive to employers because there were so few people who had actually uh you know taken a deep dive on the software and figured out how they could make stuff 
Right. Uh, but, but design is a huge thing, visual design. And uh, I kind of went into that whole scenario as like really technically proficient, but visually uh, still relying on gut instinct and just sort of like, you know, trying to make calls on what look good or what doesn't look good. And, and that can carry you up to a point, but you're way out of your depth in terms of like design until you take the time to study the you know, visual fundamentals, line and shape, tone, right. color theory, all that stuff, uh, let alone have time to refine that, iterate that to a point where you're, you can, you can, you know, efficiently translate ideas to a page utilizing those principles. So, uh, I had a lot of catch up to do early on and, and spent a long time just going back to art school, uh, for that stuff. Uh, so just diving in, knowing the tools was, was, uh, didn't prepare me for the work that I really needed to do. And then probably the, the other part of it is just learning how to be a creative in a corporate enterprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I paid uh, and learned so many hard lessons <laughs> uh, speaking my mind without sort of taking uh, the temperature of a room or, uh, you know, being uh, diplomatic in terms of corporate culture. Uh, tend, artists tend to be really passionate. And if something sucks, they're like, this sucks. And, you know, that is, uh, you know, uh, when you're at Microsoft in a, conference room with you know executives and a lot of money on the table uh you know or uh you know essentially trying to to get your ideas sold or move your ideas forward you really have to understand the chess game that is you know working within a a corporate team environment with people who are not necessarily creatives and more like executives and understanding how to you know achieve your goals and achieve your career goals and move yourself forward and not sabotage yourself by you know uh, going all in you know on one minor battle whereas the war is much larger so Mm -hmm. um, that's a really uh, short explanation of many years that I spent uh, sabotaging my review score by uh, uh, getting angry at people who were not I didn't think were on board with you know our best interests as a team and what have you so uh, that one took a while to figure out too you know Viacom is a great example we all worked on a product there that went to gold master and uh, there was a management change at Viacom corporate and uh, they just shelved the product. Uh, I think trivia Quizmo was the name of that. And uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. You know, I just like, you know, that just like knocked me out. Like I just couldn't even fathom the, the thinking behind something like that, right, you know, right. in, put all that work into investments it. and uh, people's time and energy. And then just saying, Nope, we're not going to do that. So, um, you know, I'm, Early on in my career, I was pretty famous for writing uh, beautifully uh, sarcastic, highly volatile <laughs> emails uh, in response to events like that that really did not help me ever. Never, not really. Yeah. Uh, didn't, you know, rocket my career forward. So uh, a little bit more mentoring I wish I'd had on uh, existing in that kind of a world would have been useful. Yeah, and it depends where you're at, but... Viacom and, and Microsoft, those are very big corporate entities and a lot of people outside of gaming and, and don't quite understand the passion or understand sometimes, to be honest, what they're even talking about. So, yeah, when you're kind of young and shooting from the hip, I, I can see it being frustrating and turning into problems. I said things I shouldn't have said while at Viacom, too, and I was 
called The Angry Young Man by uh, Paul Meyer, I think at the time. But yeah, there was just so many challenges and things we knew could go better and we should do different. But um, still proud of some of the stuff we did with, you know, Beavis stuff and things like that. But yeah. So what about like advice you would give someone looking to get their first job? You know, fast forward 2018, this world we're in now. Uh, wow. Well, these days, I think, you know, we're looking at a very competitive uh, job market. What I usually tell my students is, uh, again, if you boil it down to two things, um, one is focus on the work, make games and make games again and make more games. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we live in a wonderful era where any of us can download Unity or, or Unreal and crack open the docs and start making stuff and uh, not yeah. worry about a staff of programmers just getting your th stuff into the engine. It's all in your purview now you can do it yourself so yeah, totally. uh or find friends or network with friends and make games together but uh build a strong portfolio a degree is is important it shows you have discipline and the ability to uh to grasp more complex uh, uh concepts and topics but it's all about your work so make a lot of things make more things and then make a lot of games because uh at the end of the day you're going to be competing with people who uh, have been in the industry for a while for the same jobs, and that's the reality of it. Uh, and it's all about your work. That said, the other side of that coin is network relentlessly. Um, build relationships early on. You know, don't wait till you're about to graduate to start going to uh, indie games meetings and stuff and start to introduce, like, get that ball rolling. It's really easy and, and somewhat artist nature to sort of cocoon uh, in a shell and just focus on your work and just hope that is going to sell everything uh, for you or open doors for you. But uh, people want to work with good artists, but they want to work with people who they like to work with. And so though your personality does not come through text or social media. It comes through interactions one-on-one -on -one with people. And so mm -hmm. uh, I tell students like, IGDA, indie game, you know, indie city games, Bitbash, all this great Chicago culture that we have around game development. Uh, jump in that stuff early and often, and you know, meet people. Uh, don't go crazy about selling yourself, but you know, build a community of people that you know, because so many of the jobs come through networking and through uh, direct relationships that it just radically increases your opportunities. Uh, and then as an adjunct to that, you know, Chicago is a small pond compared to the game development community internationally. So be open to moving, be open to going to Vancouver or, you know, Irvine or Dallas or wherever. So uh, give yourself the ability, you know, open yourself up to all the opportunities, not just where around you, where, you know, where you live. So. Yeah, no, th those are all good points. And yeah, especially I think getting involved in the community and, going to events and just kind of meeting people and um, kind of immersing yourself in the culture so that when your portfolio is ready, you know, maybe you have a business card or you know somebody that you had met at one of those events. And, and then also about the portfolio, right? You can't just do the minimum. You can't just check the box and model the train and the clock and <laughs> you know, the four other things that everyone else's resumes or portfolios have. And, and expect it's going to stand out and you're going to get a job. You have to go, um, you have to be passionate. You have to go above and beyond what is asked for you, uh, you know, you at school so that you can stand out when, when people are looking at your work and uh, be different and have 
shown that you have the uh, fortitude to work, you know, extra hard and do extra stuff so that uh, your portfolio is stronger. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about your energy, right? I mean, people want to see what, what is your energy? What is your, you know, your thought, you know, creative thought. It's not one thing to be a scribe so we can all model replicas of things, right, you know, right. we can all animate a copy of things that have been done, but uh, ultimately you're an artist. So find your, what is your going to, what is the thing you're going to express to the world and how do you use your craft and your knowledge to express that? And uh, that's what I think a lot of people want to see who are in the creative hiring is end of it is, you know, what can this person bring to my team? And if it's just, you know, like you said, the minimum or, you know, a series of results from classes they took. This is this is the lowest form of energy <laughs> you can project out into the world. Like, right. you know, w w there's got to be something that drives you visually. You must love something and use your your craft to 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 show people that thing. It could be space. It could be history. It could be you know realism in the modern era. It could be whatever it is. I just saw a great portfolio of, of, of a student uh, or I mean a uh, artist who does food like hmm. they just model like amazing replicas of sushi and stuff and I'm like like you know whatever it is like find your thing you know right, and right. Show, show it to people yeah and, and also I think stay on top of trends with um, software right y you know there's the standards the Mayas and stuff like that and then there's you know that came and speak anywhere near as well as you can to it but you know Houdini and uh, marmosets and you know things that are kind of like up and coming that uh, they may not be teaching at school yet you know because they have to have budgets and reviews and all those kind of things but um, learn those things so that you're you're on the cutting edge and you know stuff that may be for a job description say bonus and you can say yeah I know those things and then that just kicks you that much higher up in the in the pool um, when they're looking at resumes and reels. You want to talk a little bit about your current role? Um, well, and, well, and been... You have multiple current roles, right? Between teaching <laughs> and uh, developing your games. So kind of, yeah. It's a... uh, yeah, so I have two kind of things I work on. One is besides teaching, I'm sort of work on very small to medium-sized indie game projects. And uh, it's about seven years ago when I left the big corporate world of game development and kind of forged out on my own. Uh, I had a good friend in Seattle named uh, Tom Stone, who I worked with back in the days of uh, FASA early on. And uh, he had started out making some games on Xbox Live Indie Games, which is that dusty little corner of the 360 where, right. you know, when you had like a couple of Microsoft credits left, you would, you know, wander down there and <laughs> see if anything was worth picking up, you know. And, uh, you know, he kind of carved out his niche there and, and actually did some pretty impressive numbers on uh, a couple game projects that he did. So uh, about six years ago, we worked on a game called uh, Avatar Laser Wars. It was just a multiplayer shooter and using Microsoft avatars. Uh, and people love that because before you could just, you know, buy a hat for your avatar, but you couldn't really do anything with them. And so, mm -hmm. you know, making games using them uh, means people could play games with their avatars. Plus we didn't have to model characters and yeah, do a genius. lot of rigging and stuff like that. So um, so we made a couple games that like that were just simple, uh, you know, multiplayer shooters uh, with a sort of either sci-fi or modern day themes. Uh, and then we kind of moved on to uh, Xbox, or I'm sorry, onto Steam. So mm -hmm. just last April, we did our second game on Steam called Death Toll. It was a multiplayer uh, vehicle-based 
combat game kind of meets survival meets sort of a little bit of Royale meets a little bit of sort of uh, Interstate 76. Oh, yeah, uh, I remember that. Yeah, or Battlefield, uh, games where you can jump into multiple vehicles and stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that came out in April, and um, since then, uh, that was a two-year project. It was really hard and, and a lot of mm. crazy amount of time and effort went to that. So taking a little time off, get my head centered again, and uh, I started developing a new project that I'm working on in Unity right now. Um, that hopefully will be my next game project, but we'll have to see. Uh, but besides that, just focusing on teaching. So I work as an instructor at DePaul at the, in the animation department. Uh, I'm kind of the only game art and, you know, full-time game art instructor there right now. So uh, that keeps me pretty busy about good number of students in the game art uh, program there. So mm-hmm. uh, teaching is a great thing for me because it forces me to learn and forces me to understand things much better than I had to, uh, to do the job <laughs> in the game industry. So uh, it's one thing to do a job. It's one thing to be able to teach uh, people how to do that job. So, uh, so there was a lot of, of learning for me involved in that, but I really enjoy it a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you say, the tools and the technologies move very quickly. So uh, universities tend to lag behind a little bit uh, on that. So, you know, we teach Maya and I just got substance in there last year and uh, unity and uh, uh, that whole ecosystem of stuff. But, uh, you know, it's really up to, to students to understand that there's other tools out there and other new technologies. And like you said, uh, you know, trying to keep track of those, grab demos when they can, bring themselves up to speed, look at artists who are doing work with those tools and understand it better. Um, and that's a hard thing. You know, it's overwhelming for a lot of students between the visual art aspect of it and the technology aspect of it to sort mm-hmm. of keep that voracious energy of like oh here's something new i gotta master it right now so um but the people who do tend to stand out a little bit more yeah no and um depaul's got a great program over there at, at least in terms of we've hired numerous people at our studio and you've, you've got ed keenan and alan turner and other people yep. are former colleagues of mine um yeah and they've, they've got a solid um program and uh and in terms of yeah, the software, it's just, you know, think about it, like, you know, when we started, you couldn't download engines and, you know, there's just so many things at your fingertips now um, that people have, you know, lowers that barrier of entry to, to nothing, right? It's just having a computer and um, YouTube, right? I mean, I talk to my art director a lot and he, he always talks about YouTube and how he stays on top of latest trends and what's going on with tools and stuff because there's so much great you know, great content on YouTube besides cat videos and all that other stuff that people watch. <laughs> but it just, it's, it's about carving that time and, and not always playing games because you, you have to learn your craft and learn, learn your skills. Absolutely. The only change is, uh, the only constant is change. So yeah, for sure. What are you doing to kind of learn and improve? Well, you know, the funny thing about, uh, like I mentioned about teaching is that, um, you know, when you work in the game industry, uh, especially for a long time, you may becoming proficient at one thing. So you become very narrow and deep uh, mm-hmm. in one skill set, right? Or a couple of skill sets where like you just have that mastery of that. Uh, but the funny thing about teaching is you have to have a very broad and fairly deep knowledge of everything. Uh, and that was an eye opener. Like 
five or six years ago when I kind of started doing this, I felt like, oh man, I got to go back to school. I got to relearn everything and vested a lot of time in just getting up to speed again on, you know, the art pipeline, uh, normal baking, all that stuff uh, to the point where I felt like I was proficient again. And then I have to break all that down in a way that I can explain it to students yeah. visually and everything in a way it's that important. someone who's never even heard of this stuff can kind of wrap their head around it. And so it really forced me uh, to go deep on things. Uh, the first one was Maya. I hadn't, I'd been using Max my whole career and school was teaching Maya. So uh, I finally had to force myself through that conversion. That was, uh, I mean, just to interrupt, but that, that, that was, a, those were holy wars back in, back in the time, right? I mean, it was, <laughs> You know, Max, Maya, you suck, you suck. Yeah. I mean, people were very, uh, uh, very passionate about it at one point, but now it's all Autodesk, right? So, I mean, it's, it's all. <laughs> Borg, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it was also silly, you know, looking yeah. back on it. You know, it's just like, no hammer, no hammer and screwdriver. Like, right, you know, right. essentially the argument. And uh, uh, both of them are competent, both can do, ex ex you know, amazing uh, things and uh, get amazing results from either package. Uh, it's really just about workflow and what works better for you as an artist. So, uh, so just getting into Maya and getting up to speed, I finally realized like, hey, you know what? This is uh, just feels better to me than the package I spent 20 years with. So, <laughs> you know, um, I uh, I love it now, even though I I hate it for its certain quirks and the problems that it has. But like any software package like that, but. Um, so yeah, it was just about yeah. uh, hit, hitting that stuff hard again and being able to say, okay, now polygon modeling, UV application and, and unwrapping and unfolding uh, materials creation and shaders. Uh, I had to like basically go back to school deep on each one of those subjects, rendering and renders and mental ray and now Arnold and all that stuff because um, film students are rendering offline and game students are rendering in real time. And I had to basically be able to teach both of those pipelines uh, well. So uh, that was a big thing for me. Uh, substance tools, when those came out a couple of years ago, going deep on substance designer and painter, uh, really getting my head around those, being mm -hmm. able to teach those. Uh, the great thing about all of this process is that I was working on games and I could immediately apply this stuff to the art I was doing on mm -hmm. uh, the games that I was working on. And uh, that stuff would feed back to the teaching. I'd go through... I got to model this vehicle. I'm going to go through all the high res to low res workflow and baking and all the lighting stuff. And I come out of that going, geez, I learned about like three dozen lessons from this that I can immediately go to my class and say, Hey, look, always watch out for this. Make sure you get this right. Understand that you bake in one package, render in another, there's going to be disparities, all this stuff that I, I knew of, but hadn't lived through in the way that a, light, you know, like a production artist or a staff, like a line artist would have to do. So mm -hmm. um, uh, that was huge for me. And then last year, uh, what was it? Two years ago, one of our great instructors, uh, James Taylor, went back to Phosphor Games and oh, yeah, I know James. As, yeah. as art director. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's just a monster artist, just like off the grid, uh, good with Maya and characters and uh, mm -hmm. all this stuff. Uh, so last minute I got called in to sub in and teach his uh, uh, three modeling studio class, which is advanced modeling and then visual concept for games, which is all about uh, concept art. And so mm -hmm. uh, there was another thing where I had to like 
go deep and immerse myself over like entire like month and a half of Christmas uh, to like be prepared to teach those classes in the, uh, in the winter and, and in the spring. So then I went back and was figuring out hard surface modeling workflow and, you know, doing the uh, subdivision modeling in a way that we could do really clean bakes from high res subdivided models to game res low poly models. And then all the substance painter workflow of that and all of the, uh, game model workflow of that uh, so I could teach that class was incredibly useful to me like I just transformed my ability to like uh, you know get better looking assets into the games that I was working on so uh, yeah. so it's a great synergy between teaching and making games is that you know if you got to teach it you really got to know it and if you really know it you reap the benefits from from your work so okay quick question break what are your thoughts so far do you have a topic idea, a question to ask, or a guest suggestion? Let me know at 224-484-7733 or on the gamedevadvice.com website. Yeah, and that's what they say too. It's like the only way to really know something is to explain it to somebody else, right? So you yeah. can kind of think you know it, but until you can then actually break it down and show somebody how to do something, you don't really, really know it. And, and that's, that's the best way to know something. And no, I think it's great. You have that passion and you, you work in the projects uh, that you can then show in class and kind of, you know, walk them through what you learned and um, that kind of, you know, synergy of like using a stupid word, but yeah, just that ability <laughs> to, you know, learn stuff and um, then be able to show it in a way that, uh, makes sense and, and that's current and you're not like p pulling out some old files on a on a uh, usb drive and um showing these things how to do it um you're actually making games and, and showing them practically in real time as you're doing it um, yeah trust me when you explain something to s someone and they don't get it you know it you fail. yeah right you know it's like they're like wait no this is i don't i don't know man and you're like oh yeah i, I could have done this so much better so uh, enough times through that loop, uh, it comes, it comes a lot more, you know, naturally too. So, yeah, no, and, and that's great. You do that out outside of work. And, uh, so here's what I always like to ask kind of what is a, a funny or odd story from working in the game industry? I'm sure you have a lot and, uh, <laughs> you put any thought into this, got any ideas, anything you want to share? Um, yeah, uh, I can think of a couple things maybe. Uh, wow, my first job ever uh, at, at Software Toolworks, the first day I showed up, I, you know, like I, like I said, I was working as an as a independent contractor on site. So I had to bring my own equipment in. So, you know, I was all excited about this job. And I brought in my nice, like, 386. And, uh, was it DX or SX? Yeah, that, that, it was, a, it was the, the DX. You had to have it. Okay. Co-processor. Yeah, right. That the <laughs> SX was for wimps. You got to have the DX. So, so I was really like psyched, and I had a nice, uh, you know, high-end NEC multi-sync monitor, yep. and I was I was like going to be super professional. I was going there, kick ass. Uh, and I had made friends with a couple of the programmers uh, uh, that were there, and and you know, as I started working there, we started doing things like modding Doom and modding Hexen and all these games to create mm -hmm. our own levels and stuff and then play multiplayer after work and that whole culture of uh, I was in a groove and I was loving the job and then one day I came in I was working and uh, I didn't realize it but these guys had uh, added a, uh, a program into my boot uh, file 
uh, and then what it would do is it would slowly saturate my monitor to like pure magenta. But it would take, <laughs> but it would take like an hour to do that, right? It was a super slow change. So there was like a TSR that I put into my uh, autoexec.bat <laughs> file. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'd be working and I'd be like, like what the? What the going hell is going stupid on? Stupid AC like, monitor. I'm like hitting the monitor on the side. <laughs> and like, you know, this is a thousand dollar monitor. Like, you know, this is terrible. So, right. um, maybe it's my graphics card. I know. So I'd reboot and everything's fine again. I'm like, oh, you know, go back right, to start right, working. Right. You know, and then over time again, it would just become purple, and I'd just be like, I'm starting to like freak out because it's like this is an important job, and I, yeah. I need to be professional and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, fast forward, I'm on the phone, you know, with like nvidia you know or whoever right. and you know talking about this problem and meanwhile these guys are like losing it like just <laughs> rolling around uh hey, shut up i'm trying to make a call here <laughs> so finally after a couple hours they fessed up on that but uh, <laughs> uh that made me very cautious about securing my system right uh, and probably another one i can just remember was just the crazy culture clash um that happened so Fasta Interactive was a company in Chicago. Uh, they worked on not only the BattleTech centers doing the the mm -hmm. pods, you know, the BattleTech. Yeah, George uh, Gomez. Yeah. Yep, all the yeah. pod stuff. Uh, but we had made we were making PC games there too, and uh, so when I got hired, um, I got hired to work on. They they were still doing MechWarrior three at the time before that got taken over by Microprose. So long story short is uh, one day we walked into the cafeteria and there was a bunch of people in suits gathered uh -oh. around. And, then, and uh, you know, we had been shopping uh, different publishers. So we'd been doing demos for different publishers over the last couple of weeks. And they were like, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, we've been talking to Microsoft and they really like us. And uh, they really like to continue the development of MechWarrior uh, they're really behind it, but they want to continue the development in Redmond, Washington. It took us like a second to go. Uh, well, los. So we're in Chicago now. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it turned out they wanted to buy the company, relocate everybody out there. So uh, fast forward uh, after the, all the interviews and everybody accepted and we all went out there. Mm -hmm. uh, they put us up in like a section of Red West, which is an, a really nice corporate uh, building in downtown right. Microsoft there in Redmond. And uh, uh, we were like uh, very like alien to the Seattle culture. So, you know, West Coast is really like really super like gelled and everything's really kind of like mellow and no one gets upset. You know, everything's like super cool. Right. And, uh, we were like Chicago, like raging over like stupid stuff and you know, like making a lot of noise all the time and like freaking people out uh, who are nearby our offices because it just it was so loud and like crazy all the time. Uh, and occasionally there would be like, you know, you know, walls, you know, holes in walls, you know, uh, yeah. overzealous, uh, you know, uh, testing of uh, animation uh, stuff. So, uh, everybody's kind of afraid of us and uh, we <laughs> they're would, gangsters they're from Chicago and they're angry they must have <laughs> Gatling guns stay was, away from them man go get some coffee yeah it was culture shock um, completely and we were all like what is wrong with these people nobody has passion out here like you know <laughs> we sit in meetings everyone's like yeah it sounds good you know and like no one's like excited um, <laughs> so we would you know uh, 
it would be classic. Somebody would do something like marketing would send out a, a terrible box comp for a product we were working on, something like just embarrassingly bad. And right. you, could, you could hear the typing, the clacking of keyboards <laughs> down on the end of the building of people right. getting angry. And then like, I would be like, what the hell? And I would like walk down the hallway and I'm looking for the general manager of Microsoft games. And these hallways were like super long. Like, you know, like these right. buildings were like super long. So literally when I would pop in the hallway, I, I, he could see me from the other end. He would immediately like duck into Dunk. somebody's <laughs> office, you know, and close the door because, you know, I didn't want to deal with me bitching about marketing one more time. And again, if I had been smart, if I had been mature, uh, I would have worked to, to establish a relationship with the people working on that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. make it a peer relationship, make them feel like I, w- I was there to help them and support them uh, to get the visual aspects right. And, uh, you know, that was the thing that took me so long to learn is like, you know, you, if you burn down the houses, then, you know, it's going to take a long time to rebuild right. them. And uh, you should just like temper your anger, understand that they're probably just trying to do their job okay or well. And then they just don't understand the team vision or whatever it is. Right, help educate them. Help yeah. So, uh, I finally, probably after eight years, I finally got it, uh, there, but, uh, mm-hmm. it took too long. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you were there for eight years. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a long run. That's, that's impressive. Well, it was, you know, these organizations are like, you know, they're like the ocean. There's like huge waves and they change all the time. And it, yeah. every year, year and a half, there's a big reorg, mm-hmm. uh, and the whole, like they wipe the slate. Right. Uh, there's new managers and products and, teams are reorganized, and they bring their people in. It, yeah, it's almost like sports when there's a new uh, a new manager, and then the whole coaching staff's wiped out, and all these new assistant managers come in and bring in the people they trust. And then a couple of years go by, and like that's not working. Let's try this again. Um, <laughs> or it's like we don't have enough hits. We're not making enough money. Time to shut it down. Um, so yeah, it is very uh, finicky and you know, being technology, it's, it's always tricky and then it's a hit driven. So you can't make games that people don't want and have big budgets and, and survive. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the you know, Microsoft changed so much from like the early nineties into the OOs. Like I, I would, I would always read about these meetings with Bill Gates where he would just destroy like entire team presentations for being terrible. And like, you know, people would be sleeping under conference room tables and stuff. And, when I got there, they had exceeded that and they were now kind of a big company uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of middle managers. So um, I was expecting that Chicago vibe that, you know, that edgy, like let's kick ass kind of thing. And it, it already left uh, yeah. by the time I got there. But, uh, you know, we, 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 you know, we did okay as a group. And I think uh, I was really proud to be part of that team. And I'll never forget uh, sitting in meetings with like the head of Microsoft marketing telling us uh, to stop complaining because we're literally just a fly on a rhino's ass. That was a direct <laughs> quote from. All right, I'm going to kill it now. <laughs> Thanks for pumping me up there. Um, well, no, it was funny too because you, you talk about Microsoft. And I'm kind of like thinking back 10 years prior, I was at NEC, which was TurboGrafx, and um, I had been promoted to this random games specialist job. And for some reason, some recruiter from Microsoft had called me. They were doing recruiting in Chicago and it was at a hotel downtown and everything. And, and I showed up for the interview and I had 
you know, I went and bought a suit because I kind of saw the writing on the wall with NEC and stuff, dressed all up and went down. And the, um, the Microsoft person had no idea about making games or anything about games or why they were talking with me. So it was this very awkward, bizarre interview because they're kind of like, yeah, so we make office. What do you do? <laughs> and I, I talked about video games and she was looking at me like I had three heads and it's kind of like, okay. And you could tell it was just like they were looking for somebody else at NEC and they got a hold of me and they thought it was something more corporate NEC versus NEC video. <laughs> and I'm just in this interview, just like fish out of water and they have no idea why they're talking to me. And it's kind of like, Microsoft doesn't make games. We, we make office and productivity tools and, you know, all this stuff. Um, it's early nineties and, you know, fast forward then 10 years later, there's that. And then Xbox and everything else. If I had any big disappointments is that I came up through the PC gaming generation. Like I was, I loved arcade games. I loved console games, but I was a hardcore PC gamer from like, you know, mid eighties on, as soon as we could play like Snopes on netware, you know, I was like way into it. So like, um, I, when I got to Microsoft, I was like, this is going to be a, we're going to build a PC game dynasty. We're just right, going right. to friggin' own PC gaming for the, for the, for the millennium, uh, driving <laughs> properties like FASA and Bungie and all these other great companies, these little companies that we all ended up in the same building together. Um, you know, we're going to just kill this. And then literally right after we shipped MechWarrior 4, we were all like, yeah, they were like, ah, so listen, uh, we're not really excited about MechWarrior 5, but we're going to talk about our new console. Coming up. <laughs> and we were just like, oh no. So that, that was a huge mental shift uh, coming out of the world of PCs and uh, then, of course, they gave the keys to the city to Valve and Valve just went, <laughs> blew it up. What? <laughs> Well, yeah, and, and that I'm thinking too about that, right? Bungie, another Chicago company, right? Alex yep. Ropin and all that. So, so what was that like? Was, was there like rivalry between the two Chicago studios being absorbed by, by Microsoft, or were you guys like kind of cohorts and like, man, this place is crazy. We're all we're on this together from Chicago. <laughs> what was that like? Uh, well, uh, we got out there about a year before they did, so okay. uh, we we were kind of like the guinea pigs of the this <laughs> lab experiment that right, they right. were doing. Because, you know, you got to understand, Microsoft Games, when we got there, was like this little, like they were doing like Julia Child's cooking and like, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, some sports, uh, like an NFL fever stuff. Um, and so, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when we got out there, their idea was we're going to, we're going to, we're going to homogenize. You're going to let, we're all just going to be one big game organization and FASA, you guys will be part of it, but you'll be making your stuff, but we'll all just be this um, sort of flat thing. And yeah. uh, that was a bad approach because we, we lost kind of our identity as a studio because we were sort of just dissolved into this, uh, this corporation. So mm -hmm. Bungie saw this stuff. They were smart. When they cut their deal, they got out there and said, no, <laughs> we're, we're our own studio. We're separate from uh, all this Microsoft stuff. So we want our own space. Uh, we want our own key cards. We want like this is our own bubble. Right. Yeah, uh, but they were they were all super cool to us. And you know when we got when they got out there, like we had meetings together and we talked about all the stuff that we're working on. And you know we could we were always able to go over and 
uh, I could go down and chat with Marcus or anything that was going on. We could kind of collaborate and check out their stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that was the, one of the coolest things about working out there is just you had, you know, us, Bungie, uh, ultimately a, a team called Mythica, and, and there was they bought access down in Utah. They become, became like, you know, Oh, the golf people. Yeah. Yeah. They, they made yeah, all the-, the golf game guys yeah. who eventually were doing snowboarding and, and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, in Midtown madness. Who, who did that? Cause that, um, that was, uh, Oh geez. Now you're going to force me to open that brain cell. Yeah. Uh, it's going to come back to me, but you know, we knew those guys, uh, ensemble, uh, doing right. age of empires. They bought those guys and I got down, mm-hmm. I got to go down and visit them and, and, and look at their stuff. Like, that was the best part of this sort of publisher umbrella. Uh, and Ed Freeze was kind of the guy who made that kind of culture happen. He was all about like everybody getting synergy from each other. There's that synergy word again. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, that was a, that was a great thing. And then again, like I said, the ocean wave dipped and mm. uh, Ed Freeze regime moved out after Halo two and um, the next regime moved in and changed everything they got rid of the, all those little cultures and said no nope, if you're not making three product you know franchises uh like you know halo style level stuff then this isn't going to work for us so that's when you saw uh, fasa and all these other little studios dissolve and disappear mm-hmm. right after that so yeah but uh it was a really cool place to work for a long time uh in that culture and even after all that was gone um I still had a, a lot of good experiences bouncing around different teams there. So, yeah, no, that's, um, that's cool. Is there anything I should have asked you, but didn't anything like <laughs> mine? Uh, you know, uh, you know, these days I think we're just in a culture where, uh, the games business is so big and it's so, uh, international that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to me that it's, like you read about Rockstar and Red Dead Redemption and um, yeah. the culture of that. I think, you know, we're unfortunately always going to be in that situation where uh, big corporations have big profits and uh, they use their employees to maximize those. And I think that whole culture has to kind of come to an end. But mm-hmm. uh, back when I was at Microsoft, the big challenge was that they had a great infrastructure for programmers, but they didn't have for artists. Uh, or designers, for that matter. Yeah, they didn't so, understand it, right? I mean, they understood programming, right? But art and design was kind of different to Microsoft, so that's why they probably didn't have that structure. Yeah, it was just there were ladders for programmers, and it was very clear you could take a management track or an individual contributor track, and mm-hmm. you could ascend these levels and achieve these you know, pay grades and these benefits and all these other things. So um, you know, one of the weird things about art directors is they do a lot of infrastructure work, and that stuff never shows up anywhere on your portfolio or resume or anything like that yeah um, and you're involved in a lot of meetings and, and and there's more management and things like that which also don't show up on a portfolio yeah um, so the part of my work there at microsoft that it took on over a couple of years was uh trying to help establish that level of infrastructure for artists uh, at a company like microsoft and i was mentored by a guy named douglas herring who was uh, who's a great artist uh, and he was the art director at the games uh studio when i got out there Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, I was still young and angry then. So he, he probably, uh, you know, just remembers me yelling at him, but, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the main thing was, is that, you know, he helped worked with all of us to establish a game, uh, art infrastructure, uh, levels, titles, job roles, and actually made it possible for artists to 
uh, take a path through that company that will let them grow and not just sort of sealing out at some point and just fade right. out, you know, at that distance. And um, uh, I think that kind of stuff uh, is important, uh, you know, building infrastructure for people to succeed within a corporation is uh, one thing. And then building a, an expectation of uh, labor, like what, what does it mean to work a 40, 60, 80 or a hundred hour week and why we shouldn't subject people to that, at least not very often. Uh, mm-hmm. is, I think that's when I look forward, like those are the big things that we have to fix still, even after all this time, yeah. you know, uh, epic crunches just sort of destroy lives. And uh, it's yeah. really, I, I lived through it. I, I paid a big price. One of the reasons I left sort of triple A and in 2011 was that, um, I just hadn't been around for my kids and, uh, and yeah. hadn't been there when I needed to be there cause I was working all the time. And so, uh, yeah. I still see it and it makes me upset that, um, uh, we have still very little equity in that whole equation of, uh, game development at that sort of triple a big, big product level. I think it's still kind of screwed up. Yeah. And, and I, I echo a lot of those things. I mean, that, that that's, I work way more than my share of crunch. I, I developed some health things uh, yep. at some point that I'm uh, confident were related to that and uh, missed times with family and uh, sons growing up. And, uh, yeah, the industry's just got to get smarter. I mean, we have to get better scheduling and, and better practices in place. Um, the old, the way of just winging it, shooting from the hip and then redoing things all over the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just uh it's not sustainable. It's not healthy and it's not safe. It's not fair to people. And, um, you know, I, I, I used to be in the belly of the beast. I, I used to be part of it and, and I'm, I'm converted now knowing that we need to evolve and, and be smarter about development and not just, uh, have this culture. Right. And it, you know, it goes back to the EA spouse, right? I, I mean, you, you, what was that? 2004, you know, people can Google that and kind of learn, um, kind of the history and that was prevalent back then, and it was that's just the way it was. But um, yeah, we gotta we've got to be smarter. And there's people out there like Justin Fisher, uh, breaking the wheel, a very smart smart right. production person that's working at Industrial Toys now with Alex Sorokin. Yep. Um, it's got a lot of good ideas about um, planning and scheduling and, and working with design and, and agile and, and and being smarter, not just expecting people to to kill themselves because it's just uh, it's stupid. It's not healthy and it, and it creates problems for people. And uh, yeah, I, I could go all day about this. I'm, I'm getting more and more frustrated about this and the Red, Dep- Red Dead Redemption. Uh, yeah, I was just reading about that uh, on Twitter. And um, yeah, people were walking back statements and saying, no, it was just about these writers and just for these. But I, you know damn well that they're plenty of people that crunched a hell of a lot there. I'm willing to bet. Um, yeah, we, we just have to evolve as an industry and be smarter and treat people better and, and plan better and just not expect that all the time out of people. It's just crazy. Yeah, you're right. And it does come back to planning. Ultimately, my experience had, I worked on one of the worst crunches of my life on a, a game called Fear 3. And, uh, mm, yeah. you know, there was literally a meeting where they said, oh, yeah, listen, we're going to be go- switching to, you know, mandatory 60 to 80 hour weeks. And, the, and we were still six months out from shipping. So uh, like that to me is just comes down to one thing, which is 
we didn't have a clear vision of the product. Mm-hmm. We didn't schedule it and and break it down in a way that we could produce good quality in that time frame. Uh, but ultimately, we it always goes back to the game dev team that has to essentially absorb that and has to uh, pay the price for uh, right. the lack of that management. And and uh, you know it's one of the worst jobs ever is being a middle manager in those those type of organizations because. Yeah, you get it from both ends, man. You, right. you, know, you literally sit in meetings where management is telling you, no, you got to tell your people that come in on Saturday and Sunday this weekend again. And you'll be like, right. I, I literally can't do that. I, you know, this is, this is, is a terrible thing. And then mm-hmm. you try to temper it and say, okay, you go back and you tell your team like, okay, this is the result of this meeting is you got to come in this weekend. And they look at you like, you asshole, like right. Right. you tell them like not to do that. So, Right. Um, like I'll be there with you, and they're like, "Yeah, great, I'm still here, <laughs> asshole." Right, right. So it's just it's the worst because you know that layer your you know soul is is decaying, and at the uh, in the, at the line layer, the people who have to sit there and blaze the stuff out, they're literally anticipating going into the meeting on Monday and ask and having being asked to change all of it again because somebody felt like you know it's quite right. there or some arbitrary metric of bullshit. So right, uh, right. Like it's just soul crushing. And so I, I feel for all these people and, you know, these days I only work long hours when I want to and, and uh, I feel blessed to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. uh, there's so many people who have dreams of this game industry job that turn into, I can't believe I'm here all the time and, and uh, there's no end in sight. So right. uh, one day I hope there's not this thought that people are disposable and we can just burn through unlimited bodies ship these big products and then just refill the hopper again. Uh, No. Yeah. Right. Or it's, um, it also happens too, which is, Hey, we shipped it. Great. Here's your pink slip. You know, it's like, what the fuck? You know, it's like (laughs) you go through all that and now it's like your reward is, ah, well, we don't need, we can't make payroll. See you later. You know? Right. Or there it is. Now let's get on the next project. You know, right. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, take the weekend off. And now we're going to start crunching again for all the, you know, right. DLC that uh, we have to plan out that isn't done yet or for the, that DLC, it's coming six months from now, but you still got to crunch now for it because it's, it's got to be queued up so we can get our marketing around it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and just the layoffs, right? Telltale. Uh, what I heard there is just, you know, with their no warning and 30 minutes to get out of the building and basically treating you like a you're a criminal almost, you know, like you screwed up and no severance, nine days, health, health, uh, healthcare and living in one of the most expensive cities in the world. I mean, what the, what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, that is just a train wreck. I feel I mean, so I just, bad for those people. I just tell my students, like go in eyes wide open, like understand that, uh, when you interview at places, like ask those questions, you know, yeah. when you, when you finally get to sit in the room with the CEO or whoever the hiring manager is, you know, just ask them, tell me a story of people who have started a low rung here and have been promoted successfully to a high position, or tell me a story of like, you know, what makes you human, you know, in terms of, you know, I know that all the people on the team are human beings. What, you know, what resonates with you and ask those hard Mm -hmm. questions. And yeah, it may alienate some bosses to ask them that, but you know, if they're good people, they'll understand why you're asking that question. And if they're, you know, the people who take advantage of their employees, they'll, you know, kind of just beat you down or dismiss you. And, and those mm-hmm. should be tells, you know, should let you know what's coming. 
if you walk around and you see futons and air mattresses all over the place, it's probably <laughs> a bad sign. <laughs> yeah, or you just see people who look sad, you know. Yeah, yeah, just like they're so like zombies. Crushed. Yeah, 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 that thousand yard stare. Yeah, because man, when you when you get in that crunch, it you almost you just you get numb, right? Your body is trying to combat just the lack of sleep and just always being on. So it's almost like it puts a shield up and you, you just get that stare and, and your, your, your body is literally numb. Uh, right. You're going through the process and yeah. got to come from the top for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Like where can people find you online? Like uh, website, Twitter, uh, steam art station, Sure. Uh, well, I, my handle is Caustic Photon. So if you look at at Caustic Photon on Twitter or Instagram, I have some stuff up there. And ArtStation, same thing. You can search my name or Caustic Photon. It should show up. I got, mm-hmm. you know, last couple projects, I got some portfolio work up there you can check out. So Okay. And then um, for people in the, in the Midwest, DePaul, you're uh, downtown Chicago and... Um, People can look you up online, I'm sure, through the website and try and find out, you know, classes for the uh, next semesters. Yeah, I, I work at DePaul School of Cinematic Arts. That's where they're basically their film and media and television and all that stuff is down in the loop at Wabash and Jackson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a big relationship with Cinespace. And so you get to go down there and check out their, they're filming all those Chicago. Oh, right. Shows Fire. Down there. Oh, you mean like Chicago <laughs> Fire Chicago ER Chicago. yeah there's all these like yep. Chicago dramas I'm like yeah it's like a little Chicago factory down there um, yeah so and part of that is animation so we have an amazing staff of uh, what do you think of as traditional animators uh, as well as 3D and CG animators and um, I'm part of that team hmm. uh, but we're all under the umbrella of uh, the College of uh, Computing and Digital Media which really encompasses film games and um, animation basically so as well as computer science and programming for uh games and other things so it's a pretty cool place cool yeah next time you bump into uh alan turner and uh ed keenan tell me said hey i will i see those guys fairly often so i'll say hi for you well awesome this has been great i uh i had a i think we had great information here i think people learned some stuff and uh they know how to reach out to you and kind of see what you have going online and uh, death tolls on steam right now so they can download it check it out absolutely yeah thanks for uh, for chatting with me thanks for listening to this episode of game dev advice the game developers podcast if you found it interesting or helpful please leave a five-star review i'd really appreciate it and don't forget to subscribe i have a lot of great episodes coming out as always i want to hear from you the game development community So give me a call at 224-484-7733 or reach out on the website gamedevadvice.com. I want to know your struggles, your questions, and your ideas. Since the podcast is really about you, the fellow game developer, and our game development community. Thanks and take care. Oh, And in the future, I'll be interviewing 20 years industry veteran and Ringling College of Art and Design faculty member Martin Murphy, who has lots of career advice.
along with James Bond author and designer from the Ultima series, Raymond Benson, who shares how design has changed over the decades. So subscribe now so you don't miss out.